Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer, editor and infrequent quiz host Andy Conduit-Turner about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. Also, be sure to check out their website, comicscene.org, for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Andy Conduit-Turner. How's it going? Hey, thanks, man. I'm, uh, I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, we were just discussing kind of lockdown strategies and things before, um, and uh, we're, we're all starting to adapt, I think, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're we're getting there. Then again, I think we were saying before as well, folks like us who work from home in the meantime, everyone is a creepy shut in like us now. Welcome to our world, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Welcome. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully it's over soon so I can get back to my normal routine but <laughs> of, of working at home. But uh, yeah, I um, hope, hope everyone's uh, staying safe and taking care out there. Uh, now, um, firstly, thanks for coming on the podcast, Andy. No, thanks for having me on. I've uh, been listening since you since you started, and like like we were saying, the, the episodes have just shot up. Um, on the downside, you have cost me a fortune with all the recommendations I come away from each episode and all the new people to follow. But um, I've been enjoying it, so it's it's a it's a great pleasure to join you. Oh, fantastic! And I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, yeah, for for those that haven't come across you just yet, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Um, I would love to be a fantastic artist, but uh, a humble writer is uh, where I where I sit in the world of comics. Um, I write um, comics and non-comic fiction, and primarily you will find most of my work published uh, under a label I work with with a couple of my friends called Horde Comics. Um, we do primarily sort of horror, sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy stuff that we're we're putting out we have a couple of books out already hopefully you'll see some more from us by the end of this year Mm -hmm. awesome will will, will that involve kickstarter or the straight publishing um the last couple of books you put out so we have uh we we kickstarted our first anthology we'll be approaching a couple of years ago now um a short horror anthology We, we kickstarted that one and we were, you know, really happy and really, really lucky with some of the support we had on that one. Um, received quite well. We may go back to Kickstarter. I would say if we do for the second issue, it will be a smaller one just to cover those printing costs, just to help us get it out the door. Really, we'll we'll put down the money ourselves for the for the art in the first place. Yeah. Our other books, um, Revenant, which is a four part series. Um, the first two are already out. Um, we we just took those straight through ourselves um, from the beginning. I think with with an ongoing series like that, um, it's maybe a little bit more to ask people to invest in it before it's before it's finished. So maybe we'll hold off Kickstarter until we go for a collected edition of that when we're all done. Fair play, man. That's a great idea. Um, and uh, where can people find you online? So you can find me directly, mostly on Twitter at SuperNDT83. Yep, that is a, <laughs> a very humble uh, at name that I... I had from many many years ago becomes <laughs> harder to say out loud um and then you can also find our comic publishers directly at uh, at horde comics as well you'll find us there on on twitter on facebook and on instagram i believe i don't do so much activity on instagram because i am in my in my mid 30s but, um, <laughs> but uh, the other platforms are all over yeah <laughs> yeah man um just i've I've got an instagram account and i'll occasionally put stuff up but i'm just yeah um i don't know i just feel so much more engaged with twitter um how about you yeah the same i do most of my you know most of my activity on on twitter one because my you know relatives are all over all over facebook and it'll just confuse and enrage them i imagine and then uh, Instagram, I don't know what all the buttons do. It's deeply upsetting. 
isn't it? It's so complicated, like the stories and yada, yada, yada. I don't know. Anyway, all of those links are in the show notes, folks. So you can go follow Andy on Twitter um, and, and check out his work on, on the websites there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, just whilst we're, we're speaking along, go, go check out Andy's work. Um, now, having said all that, Andy, um, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. Uh, and that is that uh, a nuclear bomb has hit the UK. And sorry, where are you, where, whereabouts are you based again, Andy? I am in sunny Darbados, Derby, right in the Midlands um, Dar- right now. Right, okay. So the bomb hasn't fallen directly in Derby. Let's say that that, that it's hit kind of Nottingham. So, yeah. you know, um, not, you know, within the direct vicinity, but you're going to be in the fallout, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, my my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Right, action plan for, for survival, similar to, I guess, what we've been going through as we are preparing for lockdown now. It's uh, important to make sure you've got a few of the essential supplies, but not panic buying too much. We want to try and maintain some degree of society for a little while. So I think realistically, it's going to be a case of bunker down. A house is... Um, quite uniquely situated right now it's it's fairly well on its own and we're across three floors so we we have an entrance that's on street level but then most of our house is technically underground it's on a lower ground floor right um Ooh. so quite a lot of our house is kind of like a bunker already so <laughs> i guess i'd just uh, board up the windows on this lower floor and um hopefully um i'm not a radiation expert but um you know without the facility to get to a custom-made bunker i I would hope to make this a little bit of a, a haven for myself in the first instance. And then um, once the immediate danger has passed, um, assuming I, I haven't immediately been wiped out from uh, radiation, it will be looking to rebuild life uh, and start to venture out in the world from there. Awesome, man. Um, and uh, do, you, do you suspect that maybe there'll be uh, kind of nuclear mutants out and about? I suspect so, but as with all of these situations, be it be it zombies or or fallout or or whatever else, quite often earnest face, it's the humans that are the real monsters. So my um my solution there is to become the worst person almost straight away. I mean, I'll try if if someone comes and they genuinely seem a okay, then that's yeah. fine. I won't actively get people, but I think the key to surviving this um you know this new world order which will no doubt arise from the ashes is to escalate immediately so as soon as you meet the other band of survivors when one of those guys is a little bit narky maybe takes a little bit of extra bread maybe is just slightly rude you kill them immediately <laughs> take it directly to take it directely to 10 some some might say i've watched too many horror movies over the years and no, genuinely just full-on negan it yeah. yeah, well, this this echoes a real life story my wife and I had many many years ago. So we'd we'd just come back from working abroad. Neither of us had smartphones yet. They'd they'd become a thing while we were away. So we got back and then we were meant to go and meet one of um, one of my wife's friends for a lovely birthday meal um, in oh what's the name of the place now Avebury. Mm-hmm. Now. We were navigating with a decrepit old satna belonging to her mom to the red line in Avebury, only to be taken down these terrible country lanes when a thunderstorm b- blows in. We lose all the signal and then turn up in a place called Axford. Oh dear, that's asking for Already trouble. sounds like a fictional murdery place. <laughs> so the signal is going, my wife is desperate for a bathroom break, so we, bo- we both dash into this pub, have no phone signal, and there is no one there. And the old man... Be- behind the counter begins to talk to us and we decide we're not going to make it for dinner with our friend um we can't get in touch with anyone so we're going to stay here and have our dinner while we wait for the storm to pass and while we're there the old fellow starts talking about how aren't there some wrongans about these days because he heard a story quite recently of this person picked up some hitchhikers in the local area and they'd like attacked and left him for dead so my wife and i are there looking at each other abandoned in this pub where the the old man then said, you know, he went into the kitchen apparently and told the chef he could go home after he'd finished cooking our dinner because there was no one else going to be in tonight. <laughs> and um, what happened was that we had a lovely dinner. The The rain passed. He pointed us the right direction. And it turned out that if we'd come from the other direction, we'd have been on an A road in about two minutes. 
But as we were driving away after a, a lovely meal, my, my wife turned to me and said, when, when he was talking about the, the hitchhiker, were you looking around that, around that this quaint old pub for something to kill that old man with in case he turned out to be a, a killer? And I was like, yep, what about you? She said, yep, yeah, I'd had my eye on this fire poker. I myself had picked out an ornate soup kettle. I would have stoved the poor man's head in. But um, it turned out anyway, it's nice and... If you are passing the um, the red line in Axford in the in the southwest of England, very good dinner. Landlord is not a murderer. You can take that as a as a, as a five star recommendation from me. <laughs> that is amazing, Andy. But I love that your your mind just directly jumped to that, and that you kind of were were ready. You know, um, I think that that's quite promising of your uh, your survival probability in this scenario. Like I tell you escalation as soon as someone shows any signs you've got to you've got to be ready take them out and minimize the threat can't have them coming to get you in the night yeah man take a leadership role and you'll survive for for at least the short term (laughs) yeah exactly or take them or take them all out with you second things start kicking off pull a gas main off the wall (laughs) wow look at this you've really planned this out that's amazing incredible um so whilst you whilst you are planning your your various ways of, of of escaping and your contingency plans for any scenario that arises from having to rip out gas mains to fire pokers for for murdering weapons with your wife <laughs> uh it, during that chat you try to kind of you know go off uh, chill out a little bit you start chatting about comics um and uh she asks you what's the first comic you remember enjoying oh well i think one of the major ones and we'll touch on it briefly like lots of other of your uk-based guests certainly i have a huge fondness um when i was growing up of um, of sonic the comic it probably wasn't the first comic i ever i ever read um i do recall before that getting some less on going and more like annuals i know annuals are a big thing in like the in like the 80s and 90s over here right mm. so i distinctly remember a couple of transformers annuals and the beezer book um but sonic the comic the fleetway edition was one that i that i actually followed um i remember getting issue one um for, for 95p and i um i followed it through and it was it was something i actually had with my pocket money as i as i used to receive it and it's sort of I kind of hit the wave on this one just right that I kind of grew up with the book in the sense that at the time the comic was in its infancy and they were doing kind of one shot stories. Um, that was when I had the attention span for that sort of thing. And then give it about a year or so um, as it began to evolve into actually a series that had an ongoing and interconnected story and strips that began to split off from the main one and so on. I grew into that type of thing as well. And I began to really crave that type of storytelling. So um, when they began like the, the adaptation of like the Sonic CD story with like the metal Sonic, and then they brought in knuckles when Sonic three was like my favorite game when it came out at the time, it was incredible. I was super well into it, but I know that you've had other people that have talked that one, to death um, already. I know you've had several guests that are huge fans. So I thought I'd take a slightly different angle. And the book I really reminisced on here was maybe the comic that brought me back into them after a, a teenage lapse, you know, when, um, you know, you were, you, I say you put childish things, but I didn't, I still played video games. I just hadn't bought any <laughs> comics for several years. Um, it was really the ultimate line beginning with the ultimates from Mark Millar that really brought me back into comics. I think I was in a forbidden planet as like a teenager with some of my other friends who, you know, we'd just gone into Birmingham from Tamworth where I grew up as a, um, as a kid, we went into Birmingham where there were comic shops. We went in there and I saw this book that was, it wasn't bogged down in, you know, 40, 50 years of law. It wasn't in the middle of a run that I didn't understand. Um, there weren't tie-in events or anything like that. This was just almost a new start of characters that I recognised and I enjoyed from from movies. And it just felt like it was a great sort of gateway drug into it. And from the from reading that Ultimates, I think it was a trade paperback I picked to in the first place, I then dived into that entire line of comics and then started really getting into comics again and working my way back to some of the old the old series as well so that one's a huge technically let's call it a um 
a uh, my return to comics book. That was a huge one for me. And so that was kind of what late teens or early twenties. Yeah, let me um, let me see what year it came out, and then I'll actually I'll tell you exactly how old I would have been. Depressing as that might be, <laughs> it would have been about my late teens, I imagine. Great. Okay. Oh yes, I'd have been I'd have been I'd have been nineteen. Okay, there you go. That's yeah. pretty good going. Um, and so you kind of from from that point. Um, had you been writing any stories, like in in, um, in any way, like any kind of I don't know fictional storytelling? Can I show myself up as a very like <laughs> very insular little kid there? But I always used to tell tell stories, like you know, like when I wasn't out doing the thing that you did when you were in the nineties, you know, riding around aimlessly on your bike, um, or yeah, with with nowhere in particular. I remember going just just out riding on your bike for like eight hours. Was, um, so when we weren't when we weren't when we weren't doing that, um, or you know, or playing loads of sixteen you know, bit video games, um, quite often I would make up make up stories. Sometimes with the uh, the toys I had when I was very young, but sometimes I would equally. Oh God, this is a terribly like revealing story. Sometimes I would just pace up and down like my room or the hallway or sometimes the garden with like a stick almost like playing out a story in in my head just that was an interesting shape and i could thinking back i think i'd almost picture the the story that i would i would tell with it like i say sometimes with toys sometimes with you know a stick that you could fashion like oh this would be an interesting shape for like a spaceship or a weapon and i would i would tell stories with that and i would um Often enough, I'd, I very seldom write them down when it wasn't part of, of schoolwork. I would, but I would come back to it like it was a serial. I would finish my game of imagine this story, and uh, and I'd come back to it on a on a later date and say, right, I left it here. This is what I'm going to come back to and do the next part. I should really rack my brain see if there's anything I could write down out of those one of these days. Probably not. Probably all nonsense. I was a very little kid. Oh, that's <laughs> you, you can make sense of it now. Um, I'm sure there's a nugget of awesomeness in there. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to go back to that. But yeah, I always used to like telling um, telling stories and so on. And I think when I came back to comics, um, you know, at the time I, I made some friends that were actually into the art and illustration side. My my artwork's never been that much more than than doodles, really. But mm. we began to talk about, hey, should we should we actually try and do something like this, you know, tell our own stories just for fun, really. Like I think even as teenagers, we didn't really have an idea that there was a a business and a, and a world behind it. Like we didn't really have the appreciation for who was creating comics and how they really began. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I mean, I, I never really gave it much thought. Um, even kind of in my 20s, to be honest, um, which seems really terrible to think about but it's only like when I got into my 30s that I started to kind of you know think about who was actually behind these stories um and uh yeah uh, when when was it that you started to really pick up the pen or you know type on the keyboard to to actually write your own own comics um thinking about like writing what got me on that one was again you, you'll see a lot of stuff comes in with me um a lot of the storytelling as well came from both comics and from video games. What got me interested in writing was um, family favorite television show followed by a magazine games master in the UK. They ran a competition for um, related to resident evil. One of my favorite, favorite horror series. Yeah. Um, and they ran a competition to, to basically do, an imaginary Resident Evil game at the time. I think Cove Veronica was out, but Resident Evil Four, where it began to take that twist down to the action, really hadn't really happened yet. So there was a competition that you would, you know, you could enter your imaginary Resident Evil game, and I really took to it. Um, I got a whole sketchbook, and I, you know, I, I photoshopped image images, and I did a setting, and I even mapped out like a controller on the screen and talked about how I tweaked the controls. And um, and do these, and I made up all the different boss encounters and how the mechanics would work. And I filled this book to the brim with mechanics and story and background, and even some of the made up. If you're familiar with the games, you know you go and you pick up those files that have like diary entries and stuff in them. I even went so far as to to write some of those, um, and I won. Um, I, I posted this off and I won, and then 
the, the good folks over at Capcom, they sent me, it, it lived in my granddad's house for years after when we, when flat screen TVs became a thing. We won a, we won a huge TV that was, which like, you know, it was an obscenely massive TV, but because it was the year that it was, it was as deep as it was wide. It was a huge yeah, monstrosity. Um, and, I, and I got a GameCube and they sent me copies of all the games and a couple of other things they, they put in from their back catalogue as well. And I was stoked. I was like, oh, I wrote this thing and, and, and people liked it. And, you know, it might have been that they just weighed it on the scales and thought someone's put effort in here. We'll let this guy win. But, um, you know, at the time I was like, this wasn't uh, this wasn't a draw out of a hat. This was someone looked at this and they decided that I, mine was good and, and I won. So then I was really into um, writing things like that as well. Like, again, never had any idea about how you would do that type of thing professionally. But I started working a little bit more, more with my, my friends who are into art. And we did do some comic characters for fun and think about maybe trying to do something with them that we just put out on like, a, you know, put out on paper or even a short animation on like a new ground site or something like that. So then it really kickstarted a lot of, creative stuff for us that's awesome and 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 are you happy to reveal any of those characters names um well we started and i i may come back to this one of these days um we we did my friend uh greg mason he did one of the stories of the uh, in in the whole in the horde comics anthology as well with me um we did some comedy superhero stuff called the the first league of heroes and they're all very i say very loosely they're all obviously based on people we knew and and things like that mostly mostly it's an exercise on making yourself look great and making fun of your friends but um (laughs) he did some great superhero pictures of everyone because he's an incredibly um talented talented artist he still works and does commissions now and um we we may see him in issue two of old comics too but um he, he did all that stuff. He was, um, you know, he was working at a graphic design place at the time and he would send me pictures that we'd done and we did some audio recording of some short sketches as well. I'd like to go back to it sometime. I think it's something that it's something we toyed with in our sort of teenage years and early 20s. Now we've actually done this. I think we'd like to feel that we've achieved a certain level um, and we're really happy with the stuff we're producing and then we might go back to it and just do like just a stupid fun a stupid fun project with it just to do something yeah it's very very tongue-in-cheek but yeah it was uh, it was a lot of fun to do and i'd love to go back to it sometime yeah you should do um because uh yeah those sorts of stories we need we need more of those a lot of the time um like a good bit of escapism um, and uh, speaking of escapism, uh, the ne- next question that comes up uh, is what is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Um, this is really tough because I think we'll go through the we'll go through the genres and it's it's when I first started thinking about this, I don't read that many books which are pure comedy. He says before two of my recommendations are definitely um, <laughs> definitely comedy books, but. Um, one of the first things that sprang to mind, I thought of it, was less so much even a comic and more of a, a strip. There is a writer and artist by the name of James Hutchinson. Um, I used to read, tapping into these video game routes again, I used to read Edge magazine um, very regularly, and he had a short strip called Crashlander that was on the in the back there, right. uh, just after the letters page. And it was just a very short, pithy um little comic you know like your garfields that you'd see in the newspaper and so on yeah. but um very very directly aimed at sort of video game pop culture what was currently in the development cycle what was currently you know in the zeitgeist of of video games at the time be it new console launches or whatever the whatever the latest trend was and i used to read those and, and get a real a real kick out of them but um to pick an actual book a recent bit of um development in the world brought something back to my attention that i remember loving and it's a book by a guy called gareth brooks um he had a i first encountered this book and it's a very short book that he put out um that fan art which is sherlock holmes versus skeletor as in he-man's enemy with a skull face um i i saw this book i was visiting a friend in brighton he took me into the the comic shop and I saw this tiny 
book, it was just on the counter. Um, you know, there were a lot of mainstream titles you'd have recognized in there, but there were also a selection of independent books around the counter. And I just picked this up from a small stack and not wanting to read it like I'm at the library, but had a quick flick through it. And um, it was fantastic. It's just, it's just very simple, simple jokes, but I was laughing out loud. Uh, we had cash along and I didn't have any cash on me at the time. So I was like, right, I'm going to come back here later on and pick this up. Then, of course, it started pouring down with rain. We never made it back and I regretted it for many years. To the point, this is a book I must have read, you know, flicking through it years upon years ago now, 10 at least. And I still remembered it and regretted not um, um, not picking it up on that day and missing out on it. Mm. Um, as this lockdown began, I know a lot of people in the indie comics world, those that those that can have been good enough to put their books out for free on various platforms. And incidentally, like at the time I would have never known Garrett's name or that he was behind this book. And it's not the type of book you could simply Google Um, with people putting these books out online. He, he released um, Sherlock Holmes versus Skeletor as a free digital download on his website. I rushed along, bought it straight away, um, actually got to read it after all these years. And it is still excellent it is just <laughs> especially in um you know especially our serious day-to-day life can be at the best of times having a a little bit of escapism to see the very petty squabbles between the world's greatest detective and the lord of snake mountain is <laughs> a fantastic thing to behold and it's just and it's just tiny little jokes it's just like Skeletor hanging up all of his purple pants up on the line and Sherlock Holmes just deciding to spray them with his hose while he's watering the garden so they never dry. And then Skeletor um, on his way home from the pub deciding, deciding to relieve himself through Sherlock Holmes' letterbox and how he, um, how he, comes up at, how he meets his comeuppance from that one as well when Sherlock Holmes puts, a, uh, puts something to dry the, the, the wet patch on his carpet. It's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and I, I can't remember of of late having a quick read of something where I just heartily laughed out loud for you know for for several minutes, and then tried to explain it to my wife and just got puzzled looks. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, Gareth's got an amazing imagination, and of course he's he's been on the show, so it's been, it's been it was great to speak to Gareth. We didn't actually speak about Sherlock Holmes versus Skeletor. Um, that didn't that didn't come up, but um, I mean, what a, what a fantastic premise! It's it's seminal work, and as I say, uh, unless he's had any reason to you know to, to take it down. Last time I checked, it was um, it, it was on his website along with his other books, which you should you know definitely pick up if you're able to. Um, yeah, it, it's on there for free right now. So yeah, um, unless he's had reason to change that, get on there and uh, treat yourself. Absolutely, and just the, the, these these kind of comic strip type uh, comics, um, I I just absolutely love them. Kind of the short, snappy jokes, like the Penguin and and stuff like that. Um, I I just find them fantastic, and it's just it's nice to have a little chuckle about something, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I um I love it, and maybe with this um with this encouragement from you, Sam, maybe I will get on get on to Greg and get him to work on a first League of Heroes stories. And we have a short that's written about two, three pages, um, which I'd love to put out. So uh, Do it, man. maybe I'll, maybe I'll use your encouragement as a reason to pressure him. I'll, uh, I'll send him a sound clip from this. Yes. Do <laughs> come on, Greg, pull your finger out, mate, get it done. <laughs> maybe that's too pushy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, changing gears um, and switching emotions. The next question that comes up, is what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Um, again, like there are so many variations on, on sad that comics can do. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I can have a quick aside to jump into the defense of uh, superhero stories here. I know that they're very easy and especially within the indie scene where people are doing some fantastic work on, you know, real slice of life, real, you know, real powerful, real stories that, um, mm. that people are putting together. And I think it's very easy to dismiss as a general audience, if you're familiar mostly with how they're translated to films, that, you know, the superhero genre can't be meaningful, you know, in the mainstream and have some deeply emotive moments. If I've read All-Star Superman and been in 
bits. It's incredibly, um, it's an incredibly touching and sad story in in parts. But um, I think when I really, um, um, you know, feeling vulnerable and I'm, I'm going to take one right in the feels, I think it's very hard to overcome stories that are either very heavily based on or are true. I think the I think I think true stories really have that emotional weight behind them, and I think um, I, I'm sure this one will have come up previously. But Mouse by Art Spiegelman, it's one of the very few comics that I've recommended to my non-comic reading wife. Um, one of I think about three books I've ever recommended, and you know mm-hmm. forcefully said, you know, I'm not just recommending this in making conversation. I'm putting this book in your hand and saying, please read this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, you know. For, for anyone who isn't familiar with it, it's it's not only about um, the the artist Art Spiegelman. It's not only about his father's experience being a, a Jewish man in in World War Two, um, and the effect that you know, that the Nazi regime had on him um, and and the people around him. But there's actually a side story in that as well, whereby it's about the artist and writer learning this story from his father and going to spend time and they have um you know i I think they're at times their relationship is strained they're not as close as he might like them to be um or maybe they felt like they've drifted apart but um he he actually puts that and the process of him going to see his dad and learn this story from him in into the comic himself so I think when you have stories about World War Two, it's something we're kind of insulated from, both because, you know, it's it's now such a long time ago in, you know, our in our, in our modern memories where, you know, the news cycle moves so so quickly as well. I think something like World War Two feels like uh, you know, it's something for your history lessons, even though there are people still alive that experienced it and yeah. the sheer scale of it, I think you know, it's very easy to read a story about the suffering of um of an individual and it being immediately touching when you hear it on the news. But when you talk about the type, the the numbers of people who suffered terribly in this period, when things are so huge like that, it becomes almost statistical. It becomes too big for you to comprehend. But I think mouse is very successful in making that type of story. You see the scale of things, uh, but there's also such a personal element to it as well, which makes the story, on both fronts, both the the story of the past that he's telling and the story in the present, when he's um, when he's learning the story from his father as well, um, fantastically visually represented as well with the use of the sort of animal characters, um, particularly what they do with the masks as well. It's um, it's great stuff, and I think it's really hard for me to come up with a more more powerful uh, and in places incredibly sad story that it's something that I always come back to. Fantastic, man. Yeah, no, there's, there's not much else to say, to, to say on, on, on top of that. Um, it's just an uh, incredibly emotional story um, that, that everybody, um, including non-comic book readers, uh, should read. Yeah, I think this is one of the arguments you could have for comics in particular, making it onto a, you know, a national curriculum syllabus um, for, for people to be talking about in lessons, you know, be, be it your history in this case or or your English, or your or your art. There's a great crossing of of medias and fields here that I think you know mm. really could develop some educational discussion. I think especially mm. as comics are you know fighting to become recognised increasingly as a as a legitimate you know art form which deserves to be discussed in schools. Yeah, totally. And and having something like that um, is maybe a good kind of in. For, for you know uh, young people to actually become more engaged with it you know to discuss to start the discussion of uh, of what actually happened in world war Two and kind of getting it from the perspective of you know one person's point of view on on how bad it was but you know starting to introduce this idea through something like mouse yeah for sure Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on to our next question, uh, what is the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Oh, now we're we're coming into a field where I'm almost spoilt for choice now because mm-hmm. comics, I think, increasingly so do 
do incredibly great work for horror. It's certainly the, some of the work that I aspire to with, with, with some of the, the bits I work on as well. And this is inside and outside of comics as well. I do um, writing for audio quite a bit as well with, um, with my friends on, uh, over at Hawk and Cleaver. There are, st- there are story studios that do audio stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and written material as well and so horror is my big thing so i really had to think hard about what i was going to pick for this one and um where i landed was a read um a comic a short run series a limited series from image that i came across um i believe it was last year now time is flying by too quickly i'll say that and it'll turn out to be too but um um it's a book called infidel um have you, have you read it yourself i no. haven't no 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 i hadn't come across it but i'm I'm glad that I became aware of it. It's it's a re- really interesting. You go ahead. Yeah, and it's it's by a um I believe the 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 writer is a uh, Thai writer. His name is mm. and I've I've taken a run up at this one. Apologies if you're listening and I absolutely slaughter your name now. Um Pornosek uh Pichet-shot? Hopefully I've got that right. So Pichet-shot, he is um yeah. yeah, thank goodness. I'm glad at least we're both wrong if I've messed that up <laughs> now. But um like I'm an incredible fan of his work. I really need to like. I, I hope to see a lots more from him. Um, it's a it's a horrifying story on so many levels, and and it meshes with the art. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the artist's name in front of me. I'll have to look that up. But yeah, um, yeah, there's, the, there's Jose uh, Villarubia, Villarubia, and Aaron Campbell. Yeah, all the 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 art that is combined with the story here is incredible, and I think this is why I chose this book because the horror here comes from so many levels, and the fear that it represents is so understandable as well. So, from I guess to give people a, a rundown uh, briefly, it begins. It's 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 a, it's a haunting story. Effectively, it is a ghost story in its mm-hmm. essence. Um, it is about a a young Muslim woman who lives in an apartment building um, with her partner and his daughter. um, And at at some point his, his mother as well. And it's, it's haunted. It's uh, a location where there has previously been uh, an explosion. um, And obviously there are social and political elements around that as well. And as a result, there is, um, there are, there are, there are hauntings in this building based on the suffering that occurred there before. But the horror comes from not only these, the horrific imagery that comes from the the ghosts and the, the malice that they project across the room, but there is such a, a psychological horror element as well in both that the, our lead character has fears that she's losing her sanity, but there's the, for want of a better term, there's almost a social horror element as well, because this is a lady who is dealing with the the fears and suspicions and, in some cases, hatred of the strangers around her because what they perceive her as, so their fears and concerns about about her because of what she represents in their minds um, as well. And the story really feeds on that for some not only great visual horror when you, when there are ghosts appearing but there's that the social elements and the psychological elements that come in there as well genuinely I, this is one of those books where I, I hadn't waited for the trade I picked up the first issue and I would finish an issue and I would be left you know mouth agape when it had finished mm-hmm. shocked how how things had taken a turn at the end and you know one of those rare occasions where I subscribed digitally and I was waiting for that next issue to drop into my feed. And when I got that email saying, Hey, the next issue's out, I was straight on that one without delay. There's no, no, none of that pesky reading key for those ones. They were, (laughs) they were straight into the top as well. And um, as I say, deeply affecting on a number of levels. So I think if you're a horror fan, regardless of what type of horror works for you, um, then, then there's something to get from this book here fantastic and the and the art is obviously it's going to be horrifying art but it's just the from what i've seen it kind of feels what's the best way to describe it that it just i don't know it makes you feel uncomfortable yeah there's a little bit there's, it's great there's art a, it's great art but it just makes you feel uncomfortable 
there's, like, uh, yeah, there's like a there's almost like a photo there's like a photo realism quality to yeah. some of it um you know that it's not it's not so stylized as thinking like you can still tell it's art it's not like um not like i'm sure other photo comics avail- are available it's not like dear deirdre in in uh the newspaper that shall not be named no, where it is just photos it it is but the, there's a real element to it. You can recognize yeah. there are people that you could walk past in your, in your building or in your street and they are, and then it just distorts them in such a way that it's, um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic work. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, so no, yeah, that's, the, that's another one that's, that's been added to my reading list. So, uh, thanks again uh, to, to one of my uh, guests. No to my reading list. <laughs> now uh, we come on to one of my favorite questions and that is what is your favorite cover? Now, a real treat there. Like again, picking these picking these favourites. Uh, I think maybe I've cheated a little tiny bit here because I think okay, there are so many great iconic characters that we could that you could see in a fantastic cover. Um, so I've really cheated here, and I've gone for another one of those books that I was really into when it when it came out. Um, following my return to comics, I really sought this one out, and it was. Um, Justice League Avengers. Um, the, the story in itself, with hindsight, um, it's it's your it, it's really falls into your standard amalgam, you know, crossover comic book affair, where it's more of an exercise in showcasing what the characters are and having some iconic moments than a story that's really going to leave you affected, like some of those that I've that I've spoken about uh, with previous choices. But the cover of issue three of that series. Um, from George Perez, it's a double-sized cover. It covers the front and back, um, and it's almost every character you can imagine from Marvel and DC that were in circulation at the time, and several versions of several of them as well. So, if you look across this cover, you, you could pick a you could pick a favorite comic character, and you could play Where's Wally with them on this cover. So, oh, yeah. and and it's not just your one. Like if you you know if you pick up Thor, there's there's an original, you know, Thor with a winged helmet, but then there's another more modern Thor that's on another part of it. There are several Green Lanterns. There are all types of, you know, all types of flashes. X-Men and Avengers <laughs> and several Flashes. They're like, And it's it's a real who's who. So I can imagine being George Perez. I hope they gave him a slightly better rate than you do for a, do for a standard cover. It's incredible. It's, it's a, what an undertaking. Yeah, just the composition alone must have been an yeah. absolute nightmare. Let's say if he had uh, some yeah. digital assistance, if you need to move those things around, but um, yeah, you'd hope so. I yeah, mean, but um, look, looking at it, you think you think that he's probably started with Batman because that that's kind of almost like dead center, and he's kind of like he's got the biggest bit. It feels like with his cape flying out, and then everything else is spooled out after that. But like, how do you decide who goes where? Yeah. And can you imagine, there are hundreds of characters in on there. There are there are so many on the heroes and villains alike. And I think yeah. if you, I don't have it in front of me, but isn't like Sandman even like a dust on the floor? He's quite close. There, yeah. there are yeah 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 he is yeah. There are there are so many characters that are in there. That it's it know. must have been incredible when he stepped back from that drawing board and it was finished. The thing I've done this and you know the oh, series itself had some had some great covers in it. I think issue four mm. has. A, a great iconic cover that has, you know, Superman holding Thor's hammer and Captain America's shield. There's some cool iconic moments in that comic, but that cover really stood out for me. I'm currently in the middle of moving house, but before I was doing that, that was in my office where I do my work upstairs. It's uh, a print of it is, is framed enough in my office with a few other like favorite images I have from comics. And that is always a fun one to look, look through as well. And whenever like um, my niece and nephew, maybe come to, come to visit someone or you know we have anyone with kids that comes around that's always a favorite that they can you know take a look at oh who's this character and who's that character it's like a real sergeant peppers cover of uh, of the comics world right a hundred percent that's right um and no yeah you're quite right i mean just what an incredible cover um and no yeah it should definitely be be, be up there as one of the greatest um just because of i mean the sheer ambition of it to fit all of these characters on the same <laughs> cover is just yeah, he's pulled absolutely... it off. He, he pulled it off 100 percent um and uh you know that's that, that is fantastic it should be kind of highlighted as as one of the high points of comics history i suppose 
Agreed. Fantastic. Uh, now, uh, moving on um, to uh, one of our most interesting questions, and that is, what is the most meaningful comic to you? Now, meaningful, I, I know there's a lot of ways to take this, so I've taken it in in a particular way. So I've got a specific story for you on this one. It takes us back through the sands of time to 2012, the distant past. <laughs> um, so in 2012, I attended um, a, a comic convention uh, just as a just as a punter. I was going along there with uh, my friends. Um, Greg, aforementioned artist, was was there with me as well, and uh, went to Kapow in um, in London. I believe it was near Angel at the time. Um, did you ever attend Kapow? It doesn't. It's not running. It hasn't run for many years now. Unfortunately, not. It was it was great. It's one of the I think it's one of the favourite events I've attended as a punter. Mm. Um, the thing that really got me, and this is me going to conventions. I wasn't aware of some of the indie ones that we're lucky enough to have and attend these days. Um, but really, my experience with conventions and the like was. Um, you know the likes of the of the MCMs and you know what was it was you know previous years that when it was memorabilia as well you know you go and you could meet some absolutely fantastic people from not only comics but from um, you know from your televisions and your movies and so on but my experience was very much that this is something you would go to and there's stuff you could buy but then people are also there selling autographs and Kapow was a real great event for me in the fact that people were people were there and you could actually meet people who are writing these comics and there were some huge names there i went along there i, I met mark miller and he spoke to me about um kick ass 2 that was um you know in production at the time oh, i met dave i met dave gibbons and he signed my copy of, of 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 the watchmen trade while i was there as well fantastic um it, it, it was a it was a great weekend we were there for the whole the whole two days but um I believe it was on the on the on the on the on the second day. I'd come away from the the hustle and bustle of um, of of the main of the main floor where there was you know the video game section and there was a there was a wrestling ring and we met Frankie Boyle who almost disappointingly in terms of his character on television was really nice and polite and was like oh hey thanks for coming out um, but I went upstairs and I, I found a quieter section and and it was what I guess was the artist independent comics alley. And as I was walking along there, I um, I ran into a um, a former guest of yours, a a school teacher who was there mm. with the first volume of his comic. Um, this this gentleman was, um, as I learned, John Locke, um, who you've had on previously, yeah. and um, and his his book was this first volume of, of Afterlife. I think um, the book's great. Um, I'm sure you've you've seen copies of it before. They are mm. several volumes into that now. They have gone from strength to strength but um so the base premise for anyone who isn't aware is that there is a, a con artist by the name of jack fortune and um following his untimely death he arrives in the afterlife to find it um, in absolute chaos so using his very unique set of skills he installs himself as the ceo of the afterlife and sets to whip it into shape and run it like a like a company and um, with himself as the with himself as the man as the overall overall chief executive and you know a number of people who he has uh, befriended or swindled into working with him to to help him run 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 the afterlife effectively and they you know the the book itself is is great there's some incredible world building there's there's great punchy dialogue the artwork in it is um, second to none as well it's it's a great production and i really loved it why this was meaningful less so much for the you know fantastic as it is less so much for the product and the story itself but this was a guy who i had met who had taken the time to invest both his time and his effort and i'm sure substantial resources into creating a book for himself and then he was here not as an employee of a big publisher um but here as an independent person selling a story that he himself had created and was passionate about to me guy on the street who um who we'd never met before at this huge event in london and it was an incredibly inspiring moment and it's what's kind of opened my eyes to the fact that hey independent comic things away from publishing houses are completely a thing 
that that exists. And then from that conversation with him um, on that day, that was the book and the conversation I walked away from, you know, despite all the other people I met that day, the most um, impressed upon by, and I think probably the most that I've been thought about on the, on the journey home and for the, you know, for the rest of what I then rolled into how I made attempts to seek out similar events. And I met other people. I met people like, um, like Vince Hunt, uh, uh, at a convention, a few, like a couple of years later and had further conversations on it. And it's conversations that began with that discussion with John that then had me thinking about, really trying this and really investing and really committing myself to get things made and putting them out. So um, if you enjoy the work I do in any type of fictional um, format, especially comics, then um, John is to thank for it. And conversely, if you dislike my work, then it is entirely John's fault. (laughs) Fantastic. And no, yeah, I mean, you know, John, John's a great guy. Um, Having spoken to him both, at uh on on the show itself but also at true believers this year as well um super nice guy always, always happy to help and yeah um afterlife inc being it being a great book but as you say and it inspirational uh from from somebody just just starting out um or, or thinking about it um and uh yeah one uh place that i always point people to is the, is the comic summit that he put on a couple of years ago um, and those those audio recordings are still up, actually. Um, oh, I didn't as far know as the I'm audio aware. recordings are still up. That's great. I need to check yeah, those out. I could make that do. weekend, but I heard really great things about it. Yeah, I, I wish I was able to attend, but no, I didn't. I wasn't able to make it in the end. But um, no, yeah, the audio um, audio from that weekend is 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 up on the website there. So I think if you just search Comic Summit, um, and then maybe WordPress, because I think it's a WordPress website. Um, then yeah, the audio recordings are on there, and and those are really really good because they they hit all the kind of the main subjects that you need to know about. Uh, but it's all panel discussion, so you've kind of got input from from people like Sarah Millman and um, I forget who else there, like Barry Nugent and and people like that. Um, and uh, no, yeah, it's it's a fantastic resource that, that John created there. Oh, fantastic. An inspiration. I, if you could see me, if this is a video format, I'd be tipping my hat to him. But I'm neither on video <laughs> or wearing a hat, so thanks anyway, John. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, now, uh, the next question uh, that comes up is, what is the most underrated comic? My short, absolutely cheating answer here is all independent comics. None of them get half of the attention they deserve, and there is so much incredible work out there. Um yeah. Name a few. Mike Garley's Samurai Slasher is the best horror boogeyman created since arguably the 80s ended. Um, Rachel Smith's Wired Up Wrong. Um, you know, I, I know it's a very well-spoken book within indie circles. Um, looping back to things I say should be available in schools. Um, you know, some of the items in that book, they're really very honest, incredibly heartbreaking, yet hopeful it should be distributed in schools or to partners uh, of people suffering with um, with depression. Like it's a really eye-opening and a very unique perspective on that type of thing. But yeah. um, in terms of a fictional read, um, returning after harping on about indies, I'm technically returning to one of the old guard. Um, if I could go to the original talk, the original text here, I'd have to recommend um, the complete Don Quixote um, written by, Cervantes originally, but adapted by by comic writer and artist Rob Davies. Um, it was recommended to me by um, comic creator Gareth Hopkins um, when I was doing a series of reads based on classic literature. Um, Gareth recommended it to me, and um, I'd always wanted to read the original Don Quixote, but I'd found it impenetrable, mostly because I did not have a functional knowledge of speaking Spanish, so I'd found the names with X's in them, very difficult to read in my head and sort of sound yeah. out aloud. Um, let alone, you know, it's a daunting, thick book that was written hundreds of years ago, 1605, I believe it was published, or so right. Wikipedia tells me. So nice. I was like, well, this is this is going to be a, you know, a tough book to read. But the comic adaptation has really encouraged me to go back and try and, and, and read the original even, um, 
as an adaptation, it's fantastic. It's incredibly funny. It's very sweet. It's very heartfelt. There are sad moments. There are happy moments. And um, it's an incredible... I understand now why it's so well thought of and a classic. Um, also inspired a great secondhand quote from via, via from Wolverine, via the, the pen of Chris Claremont about futile crusades, having other windmills to tilt at. Um, it gave me, and it's given me, I would say, great lessons for living in a nuclear wasteland in that all my suffering will eventually end when I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, that one, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 great, and like I'm I'm really interested to go back and read the um, the original text now to see how much of the comedy is 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 Rob bringing it into that modern era and how much of it exists in the in the original as well because as i say incredibly incredibly funny um in various parts and his cartoon style that he's done um and added to it the sort of stylized way the characters all are designed together it's it's incredibly touching it's a very enjoyable read it's a it's a wonderful little package um i'd recommend it to anyone Fantastic. That's going to be another one that that's added to my reading list. Um, but uh, no, yeah, there's, that's fantastic when somebody can kind of update something that is obviously a classic, um, but is an old school classic. <laughs> and so it can it can be difficult for some of us to kind of wrap our heads around those those types of things, as you said. And there's there's so much great modern you know modern things you can take from that story, and I think. Yeah to put it down on paper you know especially with the way people consume a lot of media now a an incredibly thick book published in 1605 it's not going to be the first thing that a lot of people imagine to pick up um and it's a good it's a good length graphic novel as well it's a good few hundred pages but you know if you pick it up digitally you don't even even see that but um it's 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 a great little package and i would recommend it to anyone fantastic uh, now we come on to our most difficult question and that is for you what is the best comic of all time right uh, you're really asking here right this is this <laughs> is tough and it's and it's tough here also not to be predictable right and i'm sure sure it's, it's very very hard not to say something which is a great product of fiction that is meaningful to so many people and has been adapted so successfully um and has really been an influence on so many creators across the world you know things like the watchmen i'll have amazing moments additionally as well as watchmen reading series like why the last man um you know trades like superman red sun they all really stuck with me and i can remember where i was and where i was sitting in my house or in some cases elsewhere um reading you know these key pages of this book and i remember moments where i put that book so those books down and thought wow what a story and what a you know what a product what a what a piece of art that's that's in front of me here but again i'm interested in calling out something different here so for going some of the bigger publisher offers again it's it's well known certainly within the within Within our world right within our circles but it's hard to overcome um, books like um, by Por- like Porcelain by by Benjamin Reed. I couldn't pick a single volume, so I'd have to pick up all three of those together. Sure. Um, yeah. I I read it not too long ago. Um, all three volumes were out that were that are out as of today at time of recording. By the time I picked up any of them, I picked it up at Thought Bubble two years ago, I think, and then I um I got to sit down and read them. This also made this this series of books also made it onto that rare list of things that I sat down my non comic reading wife and said, "Please read this. I think it's I think mm. it's worth your attention." Um, I loved it. The, the world design again, the inter sort of character dynamics, the drama that we see there, how we see the characters grow and change between volumes. The and not wishing to give anything away. Um, you know, there's uh, people do jump and change between volumes there's a significant amount of time that passes off page if you like between um between each volume but it's it's really masterful stuff um benjamin reed's writing in there is incredible just for the the nuance and the setting but also the the characters and the dialogue thoroughly enjoyed it and then obviously um christian wild goose's art and it is fantastic at creating that sort of gothic fairy tale almost um 
almost environment and really making that world sing and, and evolve as times change as well. Um, you know, I'm not privy to all the legal wranglings in the world, but I would be very <laughs> surprised if much time doesn't pass before we see some other medium trying to make an adaptation of this book. It's it's really that inspiring, I think, in terms of its of its scope and creation that I would be surprised if we, you know, make it too many years before someone doesn't snap up rights to this type of thing and try and take it somewhere. And I hope to see um, see them bring out more of that story as well, because I think it's every volume of it is so neatly put together that I'm sure the team could walk away from it at the end of a volume and feel they've told a complete story and leave the rest up to your imagination. There are satisfying conclusions in those arcs. But at the same time, even at the end of volume three, I could go for more. I could go. I could go for more, and I would be Very back. Nice. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to wait for it to be um, out and then to definitely be done with it. The next time these guys give me a sniff of something coming out, I'm um, going to be getting my wallet ready. This is going to be an essential read next time it comes up. So yeah, again, I, I've cheated slightly with your with your questions there, Sam, but that's the one I felt I had to call out as a a real landmark comic for me in terms of some of the best content that's out there. Absolutely. Fantastic choice. Uh, now, if you could only uh, take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Um, so out of all those, let's say I need yeah. to use the volumes to crush miscreant members of the new society beforehand. So they're going to get <laughs> bloodstained, I imagine. Um, so I'm only going to keep one copy pristine and still readable. I think I'm going to have to take Don Quixote. Um, because it covers so many of the bases of things I've talked about for any mood. If I feel sad, mm. there are elements in it that you can have a little cry to, you know, in the in the filth of the wasteland. But also, <laughs> there's there's some great, you know, great bright messages of 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 hope as well. You know, lessons in chivalry, lancing foes. You could use that to rebuild society. To be honest, um, you know, much like the character in the story himself, inspired by reading tales of chivalry. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll I'll read it and eventually don some armor and then go out tilting at um, nuclear windmills out in the wasteland. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah, and then I could use it to to you know rebuild rebuild society based on those teachings. Why not? I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a good place to start, I guess. <laughs> yeah, good a place as any. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, along with the uh, the complete Don Quixote. Uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? Well, you know, originally for the purposes, if there was one available, I'd probably want a a nuclear-equipped walking battle tank, something with a railgun, a Metal Gear of some description. That would be absolutely bob on. But assuming that I cannot pick up one of those, mm-hmm. um, then I'd probably go for something a little less high-tech, a little bit more lo-fi, if you like. Maybe a crowbar, because it's, you know, got a sharp end. It's got a blunt yeah. end. Really, it's the weapon of choice. I've played Half-Life. You can get through all types of <laughs> you can get you can get through all types of sticky situations with a with a crowbar. No, it's, um, and it's an actual useful tool as yeah. well. Yeah. You can you know, you could even you could use it for all types of things. You could if you're hunting for things out in the wilderness, you could prop a little box up, put some put some Cheetos underneath there and pull the string out to catch <laughs> Capture one of the wasteland rats. Yeah, it's um, it's a tool for all seasons, in my opinion. A hundred percent. Well, happy to uh, to provide the complete Don Quixote and the crowbar. Um, if the if the nuclear battle tank doesn't become available, um, and uh, Andy Conduit Turner, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? You can find me at SuperAndyT83. Um, you can find my comics work over at Hog Comics, and you can find me inflicting myself um, both in terms of written short stories and sometimes horror movie chat over at Hawk and Cleaver as well with my friends over there. Fantastic. Um, and then uh, have you got plans to go to any events later in the year? Assuming they happen, um, yes. assume, assuming everything everything happens um, and we're all able to go and see people in, in real life towards the end of the year, you will see me at Thought Bubble as a punter. We are not tabling this year, unfortunately, but um, 
if everything kicks along and we maybe get some of our favourite cons towards the end of the year, like a Nottingham, that's usually towards the tail end of the year. I would like to try and table there if we possibly can, but watch this space. I will have all the updates on Twitter. If I'm not tabling, you will almost certainly see me wandering around there, though. Fantastic, Andy. Well, really appreciate you coming on the show, um, and uh, hopefully our paths will cross once again uh, another con soon. Yes, I look forward to it. Fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Thank you very much. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. Uh, just a quick add-on. I uh, don't usually do this, but Andy uh, just remembered something that he need, he wanted to mention to you. So, Andy, take it away. I'm back with a little postscript for you. Um, so, we mentioned Horde Comics at the at the top of the episode there and our, our anthology of horror comics. We are kicking off Volume 2 right now. I'm working on some scripts right now. We have a great script story already produced by our friend um, Russell Mark Olsen um, and now I'm looking for some artists for the others so if you are an artist, you do horror stuff, get in touch with us on Twitter, let us know what your portfolio looks like, friends new and old alike, get in touch um, I'd love to discover some new artists to potentially work with on this one so uh, yeah, look forward to hearing you from you, thanks very much Thanks Andy, see you mate yes. Bye. Bye Again <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Andy for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Andy's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye for now.